if you're a lead pastor, I think the warfare is more intense for you than it is anybody else. Strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter, you know? So I think that with you, you really got to be on guard because everywhere, everywhere you go, Satan is going to try to, uh, you know, trip you up any way he can. You're listening to the Leadership Lessons Podcast, hosted by Pastor Daniel Williams, a podcast to encourage and equip church leaders. Brought to you by eeleaders.com. Well, this is the final bonus episode of Nehemiah. Man, we've had a journey, haven't we, for a whole season four, going through the book of Nehemiah, conversations with my dad. I hope you have been blessed, but I want you to mark down a date, March 13th, Monday, March 13th, season five, all new content, more church leaders, more wisdom, season five, full of fresh things, including video. That's right. We're pumping up our YouTube channel. It's YouTube backslash EE leaders. You can check all the content there broken down full episodes. It's going to be fire. So I'm so glad that you're listening. Check out this chapter 13 as we conclude our series through the book of Nehemiah with my dad. Well, hey everyone, in today's episode, we're actually going to finish the discussion from the book of Nehemiah. Again, Nehemiah is such a great book for leadership written firsthand by this leader, Nehemiah, who did a great work for the Lord. And it's been great slowly learning, slowly processing through this book uh, with some conversations with my dad, Joe Williams. Well, we appreciate you just bleeding wisdom and uh, having a conversation with us. Hopefully as people listen, they're not just listening to the content and what you're learning, but who you are and from your heart. And uh, we appreciate it. And so in this last chapter, we're going to see Nehemiah make some reforms. Again, I'm trying to give you some context, listener, as you probably know the book of Nehemiah, but just giving you some context of chapter 13, it's this last uh, section where Nehemiah have some has some reforms for the people because the people drift. Uh, last episode we talked about, or maybe two episodes ago, about just the importance of revival and what that looks like and all this different stuff. But in verse 6, the context of chapter 13, it gives us some um, important information. It says that the, the the years had passed. Some scholars say it's about, about 10 to uh, 12 years past the wall now. Nehemiah is following up with the people and he notices that they drift. And so let's start with this sort of subject and thinking about leadership and drifting because he's still leading. He's still caring after many years. Uh, and this seems like um, the more we live this life and see all these leaders not finish well, it's of more value that leaders that last make a great impact. So how do we as leaders personally last in our leadership? Or maybe another way to put it is what are some things that we could think uh, that you think we could do well right now to help us last in ministry? Because that's what we see Nehemiah do, being a faithful leader, not just with the 52-day project, but even many years later. How do we last? Well, you have to balance your life. You know, it can't be all go, go, go in ministry all the time. You know, uh, you have to also learn to look among yourself other men who are gifted in different areas, maybe areas that you're not, and delegate things to them. Because you can't really run a church all by yourself. It's not possible. It's too much to do. And that's why I think a lot of guys get burnt out because they they just do too much all the time and they get tired and then they get sick and then they get discouraged. But there's other people there 
Uh, if you if you notice your church, if you really notice the people who are there and uh, see who's serving, uh, see who wants to get involved. And, and if you need help with something, then you can always ask for it. You know, you don't have to do everything. There are people that are willing to help you if you just ask them. So make sure that you don't overdo it. Make sure that when you get tired, you take a break because otherwise you will get burnt out. Because the ministry is twenty is twenty four seven. It's not just on Sunday mornings. You know, you get those phone calls during the week. Things come up you don't expect. Uh, sometimes it's very overwhelming. So if you got some people that you can delegate things to, uh, then delegate you'll last a lot longer. That's what uh, Jethro told Moses. You know, you know you're going to wear yourself out. You know, and what you the thing that you were doing. Uh, Jethro told Moses it's not good because the people came from morning to night and Moses was trying to meet all these needs all by himself. And his father-in-law told him, said, man, uh, you got to you got to get some help. So uh, just look among yourselves, the people that can help you in your ministry. It makes the burden lighter. Yeah. And what does the Bible say really about being faithful and uh, maybe this mindset of just persevering? Because oftentimes, you know, we like to start really great and big. But then it fizzles out because we don't have a pace or we don't have um, the mindset to last long in leadership or in ministry. Well, you're going to have to keep looking to Jesus. I don't care how long you've been ministering. Uh, You know, apart from him, we can do nothing. So we're going to have to keep looking to him for help and strength and guidance and direction for finances, uh, for everything. So you got to stay focused. If you're going to persevere, you're going to have to stay focused uh, on him, on his word. You know, we, we're not really responsible for the results. We're just supposed to teach the word, pray for people, love the people, and, uh, put it in God's hands. Cause I don't think, I think many times too, as pastors, sometimes we carry burdens that God doesn't want us to carry. We carry those burdens ourselves. And if you burden down with all these, uh, worries and things and trials and all that, you're going to have to go to the Lord constantly and get those things to him because it's too much to bear for, for you. So he wants you to do that, too. He wants you, you know, to come to him because he's has sent his Holy Spirit to help us in this. We're not in this alone. Yeah. And what happens over time is we don't stay focused. And so we drift. We steer away from what we should be doing. And there's just a natural bent, I think, for us to drift. Hebrews 2 1 tells us we're to pay close attention to what we have heard lest we drift away and this is what the people exactly are doing right now Uh, and for us today why do you think drifting or forgetting things is so easy in life and in leadership well there's so many distractions even in leadership there's there are so many things that can take you your focus away from what you're supposed to do there's more distractions now even uh, when the apostles were here there's many distractions that get you off track, get your focus off on maybe some of the things, worldly things or what, whatever. And it's a it's a challenge because everything and everybody seems like want your attention. But the Lord's got to be first. You got to put him first and uh, everything else will fall into place because there's some things that happen. If you're going to persevere in everything and, you know, be strong and finish strong, you're going to have to just constantly develop your relationship keep developing your relationship with him and uh you know develop a good prayer life and ask ask god to help you in situations and he's willing to help us 
Well, how have you paid close attention to your relationship with God or not drift over the years? What are some habits or things that you've put in place in your life where you think are helpful that other people should do as well? Well, you know, you I just put him first in his word and prayer and fellowship with him. And, you know, if I, if I see myself drifting, if I see myself worrying, uh, fearful, uh, unbelief, that's in, you know, you run to the word and prayer and and it, it, those things will leave right away if you just do that. Because uh, it's very hard to persevere, especially in times like these. These are not these are not good times we're living in right now. There's so much negativity, and there's many things that can pull you away. I mean, you can really you can really be serving Christ and still be distracted. You know, like like Martha. You know, she was distracted. So. Uh, we want us to stay focused and persevere, but look unto Christ for everything. Because, you know, except he built a house, we labor in vain. Of course, we're supposed to work at it. But I think that's why Nehemiah was uh, so successful building those walls for 52 days. That was impossible for, in a human sense. That was impossible to do. But God was with him and gave him the right people and the right help. And Nehemiah didn't do it alone. He had help. And how, how does that help us? How does loving accountability help us not drift? Have other people on our team, other pastors, relationship, our spouse. How does community help us not drift as well? I think it's good to be accountable to other pastors. You know, uh, people that you trust, people that you can go to. If you have, if you have problems, if you have uh, trials, uh, they say most pastors don't have anyone they can go to. If they have issues, you know, like uh, problems or whatever it might be, trials, they don't have anyone to go to. So if you have some pastors you can go to and just to, you know, bear your heart with. And I hope you have people that you can go to and, uh, you know, tell them your your situation, your circumstances. Uh, so so you can be accountable to to them and they can be accountable to you and you can hold each other accountable. Yeah, but is it hard for you to hold other people accountable? Sometimes it's easy for us to say, hey, I need help and hold me accountable. But what about when God says, no, now you got to go confront that person on your ministry team that's living in sin or the worship leader or another pastor? How is that difficult for you? Is that hard for you? Is it um, how do we how do we navigate that as far as being the person that now we have to be like a Nehemiah that goes and confronts people? That's never easy, you know, to confront people, you know, but you have to. You know, speak the truth in love. You, you know, there's a way, you know, to to do it. You know, you want to tell the truth and not compromise. But, yeah, you have to confront people. And But, you know, sometimes people will receive it. It's, it depends on how you how you come at them. If, you know, Galatians 6, 1, what, you know, with a spirit of gentleness. You know, if anyone's overtaken in a fault, we who are spiritual should... You know, go to that person and it tells you to go with the spirit of meekness and gentleness. You don't want to go confront a person with the wrong spirit or when you're angry or when you're upset. Um, you want to go when you, uh, you know, are cooled off and you're not mad. You want to go in love mm -hmm. and speak the truth. And the person is more open to receive you if you do it that way. Then and that's going in anger. Because uh, that's that's the wrong way to to confront anyone because they're not going to receive it then. 
It's really hard because sin is horrible, and that's really what this chapter illustrates and shows us. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about sin and how horrible it is, because we truly see the horrors of sin in this chapter. As Nehemiah confronts the people, he's trying to help them, Um, because we know Galatians says, if we reap things of the Spirit, we'll reap life, but if we are sowed things of the the flesh, we'll reap corruption. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we sowing? And when people sow sin, it reaps corruption death that reaps corruption so how have you seen sin wreck people's lives and even take leaders out in their calling yes sin is very destructive and i think satan wants especially leaders to uh to fall into sin because satan knows how destructive sin is he knows that and so that's always going to be he's always going to try to put temptations in your way because he wants you to fall but he because he knows it's very destructive and once you fall into sin, especially as a leader, as a leader, you lose your church, you lose your reputation, uh, your integrity goes out the window. It's, it, many times you can never, most of the time, you can never get it back because people don't forget. You know, you know, David did a lot of good things. David did a lot of good things. But even today, what you hear people talk about the most is David committed adultery with Bathsheba. They still talk about it today. Sure, David's going to be in heaven. Sure, he was forgiven. All the good things he did, people forgot about that. But that one sin that he did, uh, people still today talk about it. So uh, your reputation is at stake. I mean, if you fall into sin, basically, uh, sure, God will forgive you. And you should forgive yourself. Uh, you, you're still going to go to heaven. You still are forgiven. But... As far as people go, uh, it can destroy. It can destroy your church. It can destroy your ministry. It can destroy your your marriage. It's it's very destructive. So we have to um, be on guard for that on those on those on those traps that Satan's trying to put in front of us to make us fall because he wants you to fall. Yeah, we do have to be on guard on that and actually make. Um Adjustments or what Nehemiah does is reforms to even if we do fall to get back up and to make certain systems accountability be above reproach and have a lifestyle of living for God. And so let me give you a little outline for this uh, chapter because there's four different reforms in this chapter for four focuses. The people fell, but then Nehemiah as a leader takes this problem to the Lord and follows his God's word with the people in verses four through nine. He makes some temple reforms. Verses 10 through 14, financial reforms. Verses 15 through 22, business reforms. And 23 through 31, relational reforms. Which really shows us that we can drift in a lot of different ways, right? In the temple worship, in their finances, and business, and relationships. They were drifting in many different ways. And we need to be on the lookout in many different areas of our life. Not just with Bible reading, but hey, are we good employees or not just with good uh, leadership in the temple, but hey, what about our finances or are we having healthy relationships? There's many different ways we have to be on guard and look out and pray for help. And so what I want to do is just sort of walk through these sort of um, areas with you and talk about together um, uh, just these reforms and get some questions from that. So let's start with the temple reformate or the reform. Um, this guy, um, Eli, Elishabab, 
is I don't know how you pronounce that, but he basically um, honored his relationship with Tobiah over God. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, he allowed uh, Tobiah to go into the temple and to defile it. And he knew that was wrong. He knew it was sin, um, but he feared man, um, Tobiah, over God. And so he allowed Tobiah to defile the temple and really not honor the way he did uh, the worship services there. Um, for us as leaders today, how important is it uh, as leaders that we fear God over man in our leadership? Well, you want to be a God pleaser, not a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. And when you please in man, it seems like you're not pleasing God. And when you're pleasing God, you're not pleasing man, but you can't please them both. Sometimes you have to just put the Lord first, you know, uh, and uh, preach his word. And hopefully it will fall on ears that's open to receiving. Uh, but we are there to please the Lord because you just can't please uh, everyone. I've, I found it out during the pandemic when, you know, with a lot of people left the church and, you know, they didn't want to, you know, we, our, our church was down for a while and a lot of people disagreed with that. They thought that the church should be open. They shouldn't let the government tell us to shut our churches down. But I, I felt that it was safer to shut it down. And uh, they could watch us on Facebook. A lot of people disagree with that. And I probably lost, I don't know, probably half my church because half of the people said we should meet. Half of the people said, no, we should shut it down because it's unsafe and somebody's going to get COVID if they come to church. We should shut the church down. But I went to the Lord. The Lord said, told us. We shut it down, and I knew I couldn't please both both groups. I had to make a decision, so I, I decided to uh, go on Facebook and close the church up. and And of course, a lot of people didn't agree with that, and they and they and they left. So you're not going to please all the people all the time. It's, it's just impossible to do, and you can drive yourself crazy trying to do that because, you know. Even Jesus couldn't do that. Jesus did everything right. Son of God went about doing good, and they put him on a cross. So you can't please him all the time, and you drive yourself crazy trying, because one person might agree with something, another person might disagree with it. So you're going, you drive you crazy. So you just try to please the Lord. You should be open, though, for good input. Sometimes people can give you good input to help you in your ministry, and they mean well. I think we should have a listening ear. Uh, for people to give us advice. Now, it's up to you whether you want to take advice or not, but sometimes people have given me good advice over the years, which has been very helpful. And uh, I don't want to, uh, I, don't, I don't say it's my idea. I say, you know, I always give them the credit for it. And that's what we see uh, Nehemiah do. He's giving good advice to them and making these reforms, right? Um, and so the next area we see is he's not just saying, hey, um, fear God over fear man in the temple and worship and leadership like that. But then he starts going and talking about financial reform, verses 10 through 14. Um, the people had stopped giving unto the Lord um, and to temple worship. And so the results in verse 10, it actually says the singers, the Levites, they fled for the fields. Um, and we've talked a lot about uh, probably in the last couple episodes and just even in this book, the importance of leaders being generous but how have you seen a lack of generosity, offerings, and tithing um, affect the local church? Because I think that is important to say. Oftentimes we uh, talk about how we should be generous and we're trying to set the pace. 
But have you personally seen when people are not generous, the effects of that? Uh, Because in this chapter, we see the effects were the singers, the Levites, they couldn't get to work. They had to abandon the post and go back to work. Well, the lack of generosity, uh, of course, is going to affect the church because, you know, the church has uh, overhead. The church has bills they have to pay. They have to pay rent and utilities and you know, they have to have a sound system and all this stuff. And it takes money. You know, it takes money to run a church. And, and, and a lot of people uh, are generous, and there are some who are not. But I just keep presenting it to them, and hopefully one day they will become generous. Maybe they won't. But I tell them that, you know, when you, when you give to our church, we give to missions, and we help other people. And uh, you are stone up treasures in heaven, and God is going to bless you for it. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, they don't have any money to give. And I said, well, you, maybe you can help out around the church. You know, if we have a plumbing problem or an electrical problem or if we need to grass cut or we need to set up some chairs or something like that, maybe you can serve in other capacities and not necessarily financial. Because uh, sometimes people do have hardships themselves. They don't have any money at all. They've lost a job or something like that. And they said, really, I would like to give, but I don't have any finances. I said, well, there's other things here in the church you can do that uh, doesn't cost any money. You don't have to give any money at all, but you could help us maybe with the lawn. You can help us shampoo the carpet. You could help us set up some, take down some things and other ways to serve. And God will bless you for doing that. Yeah. And what we see is this this temple, this worship, this service, because the people weren't giving, uh, there was an evidence and a struggle, and the singers had to go to the field, which means they weren't singing. The well, the Levites who were teaching the word of God, they were out in the field working, doing other things, and that's often the case for even right now, a bivocational pastor. If the offerings are down, then you got to go work out in the field and go in this business industry and work a couple days more. Uh, you know, and so the next reform that we see him do is business reforms verses 15 through 22. The people were working on the Sabbath and they, the real issue in verse 16 tells us they were living for money rather than God. God told them not to work 24 seven to rest, to enjoy, to trust him. And they said, Nope, we're going to still go on the Sabbath, make all this money and forget what God says. But how important is it for us to be free from the love of money in ministry because, man, that is one of those great temptations. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I, I don't know how, how you guys do it, but in my church, I don't, I don't count the money. I don't deposit the money. Uh, I, I don't, uh, don't want to be accused of, you know, taking the money, you know. So I don't have anything to do with it. I have, a, I have two people counting. I have a couple of people depositing the money, and I don't have anything to do with it. But I think... Uh, to live, I, Chuck Smith used to say all the time that we should live on the same level as the people and not live above the people. Uh, you know, I think a pastor should be paid well for what he does, but I think a pastor also can overdo that by getting paid, you know, millions of dollars and buying yachts and mansions and things like that and airplanes and you know, you see that, too, where they just take advantage mm-hmm. of people and they make people feel guilty uh, because they think that people should buy them all this stuff. But they don't have to. The Lord said he has promised to meet our need, not our greed. So 
if you get enough, you know, be content with that. And um, but let people know that, you know, you just like they are, you, you human just like they are. You know, it takes money to live. Let's face it. You can't live in this world without money. And there's nothing wrong with having money. You know, it's just a love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil, but there's nothing wrong with having money. But I think sometimes too many pastors live too extravagantly, uh, and it stumbles a lot of people. And uh, a lot of, you know, no one needs two homes, three homes. No one needs uh, all these boats and helicopters. And uh, I know people in Washington State, the, some of those pastors, they have helicopters and they have their own pilots. Um, they said they couldn't, they couldn't drive from church to church because it would take too long to drive in a car. So they bought helicopters and they, all this. So a lot of people saw that and they really, really got turned off. You know, they do say, uh, I don't know what this old saying is, but don't touch the girls, the gold or the glory in ministry, Right. We always need to be alert and aware and be above reproach because the enemy is trying to take us out or he wants our ministry to not be effective and for us to be loving money and stumbling other people. Why is knowing that we have a target on our back as leaders important for us? Well, you can be aware, be alert. You know, the scripture does say Satan just goes about like a roaring lion, just seeking whom he may devour. And if you're a lead pastor, I think the warfare is more intense for you than it is anybody else. Strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter, you know. So I think that with you, you really got to be on guard because everywhere, everywhere you go, Satan is going to try to, uh, you know, trip you up any way he can because he knows if he can trip you up, uh, people are going to find out. Your mm-hmm. sin is going to find you out and your church is going to it's probably going to fail. It's going to it's going to fold. It's not going to make it because once people find out, especially if the pastor falls in sin, uh, the church probably most of the time it's, it's not going to go. It's not going to make it because a lot of people are just going to leave. Sometimes it's years before people will trust another pastor. Yeah, we got to be aware of the enemy's schemes because we know that we're in spiritual warfare, so we got to stand on Christ and continue in that battle. Right. And lastly, Nehemiah fought in this reform of fighting for God and standing firm in his word with relationships, verses 23 through um, 31. And so the situation was people married unequally yoked. Uh, it affected their families and ministry. So much so, verse 23 and 24 tell us the ch- children couldn't even speak Hebrew. They spoke a different language, which meant they couldn't even read scripture. So there's a practical implication of who you marry, your spouse, your children, and all those things. Um, Where I want to talk to you about is sort of the family life of ministry and this relational reform. How important is it for us to raise our children in God's ways and teach them God's word? Because uh, these people, because they were unequally yoked, couldn't do that. Their children couldn't even read scripture. How important is it for us as church leaders, to make sure that our, our home is being discipled as well, not just the church? Well, you know, that's a good question because your priorities got to be straight. I mean, the Lord first, your wife, your children, and then the church. And I know I've had pastors disagree with that over the years. They said, no, the church should be first. God should be number one. And then the, the church and then uh, uh, the, the family. I, I disagree. I think, man, if you, if you lose... As Chuck Swindoll said one time, if you lose in the home, you've lost. 
If you lose in the home, you have lost it. So make sure your priority is the Lord first and your family, because a lot of times the family is uh, neglected. They are ignored because we are so busy in ministry and we are ministering to everybody else, but not our families. And your kids can see that. Your kids can pick up on that. That's why you see a lot of PKs, they grow up bitter. They grow up saying, you know, my dad, he was always gone doing this and doing that and doing that. You know, I know I know a pastor that do it right now. I mean, they go to Israel three or four times a year, three or four times a year to Israel. I'm thinking, what? Four times a year? Why? And, and they leave their family sometime for a month. And I don't think that's right. I think their priorities are wrong. And their wife is lonely. Their wife is stuck at home sometime three or four weeks with those children all by herself where she's got to cook and clean and take them to school and pick them up. All the responsibilities on her and she's tired and she's getting bitter now because he's not there. No, make sure that your family is not ignored because uh, the ministry is always going to be there with you or without you. You know, once you're dead and gone, those problems still going to be there and God's going to find somebody else to do that job. So don't feel like uh, no ministry is worth losing your family over. No church it's worth losing your family over because your family was, is going to be with you forever. Those people are going to come and go, but your family will always be with you. So you make sure, take vacations, go, you know, go to the park, go to the beach, go have some fun. I mean, you, it can't be all work and no play. Let your kids, don't be so serious all the time. Lighten up and have some fun. I mean, the sun will shine tomorrow. So go ahead and let your family know, hey, you guys are very important to me. So uh, make sure you stop and minister to them so they don't be left out. Yeah. And who you marry really affects your ministry. And so how do you continue to love your spouse as you serve the Lord, as you are busy? What are some practical ways we could love our spouse and our family in those things? Just spending time with them, t- tell them you love them, taking them places, building that relationship with your children, with your wife, let them know that they're just as important as anyone else. Uh, you know, I had pastors in Washington State, they, their wife had to play the piano. The wife didn't want to play piano, but the, but the husband said, no, you're the pastor's wife, and you're supposed to play piano. Well, no, she doesn't. If she doesn't want to play, I don't, I don't think that he should force her to do it. But I think you have to let your family know that, hey, you guys are special. You, you guys are special. You guys are loved. You guys can come to me. I'm here for you, and I'm not going to ignore you. And, and you have to demonstrate that. Hey, you want to go take your kids to, you want to go out to uh, get some pizza? You want to go have some uh, ice cream? Let's go to the park. Uh, whatever your thing is, find out what your kids enjoy. Take those vacations. Take that time off. When you feel like you're getting tired, you take a break. Somebody else can teach. You know, they can do without you for a couple of Sundays, no problem. And it'll be just fine once you come back. So take that time for sure, because if you don't, once your kids get grown, they're going to look back and they're going to remember, boy, you know, he, he ignored us. And I think it can cause bitterness in the home. Yeah. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's taking things seriously with the financial reform, the business reform, the um, relational reform, the temple reform. He's just, he's trying to live for the Lord in all these areas. 
and uh, allowing people to repent, to turn back to God. You know, Acts 3, 19 and 20 says that um, there will be times of refreshing after we repent and turn to God. And as we turn to God, we have to continually repent and depend on his spirit. I guess my last question from this chapter is how important is it to depend on the Holy Spirit in your life and in ministry when it comes to not drifting, serving the Lord, and just continuing to follow that path that he's called you to? You have to ask the Holy Spirit to show you when you when you begin to drift. You know, you know when you're going to drift, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen all of a sudden. When you drift, it's little by little. It's just a little bit at a time. What I've seen over the years, when people backslide, uh, when they begin to drift away from the Lord, it's a gradual thing. They start. They stop coming to church more and more. They stop reading the Word. They stop their prayer life. They stop the fellowship. And before you know it, they're back out there in the world. But it didn't happen overnight. You know, uh, uh, so it happened little by little. So when you find yourself uh, not reading the word or going to church and praying, you are beginning to, to drift right then. So you can put the brakes on and, and come back. But I think we got to check ourselves and see, OK, am I drifting away from the Lord or am I getting closer to the Lord? Because the things of this world uh, is very powerful. This world, this world system is evil and it's powerful. And it will pull you, if you focus on the worldly things, uh, it will pull you away from Christ. And that's why the Bible says, you know, we shouldn't love the world, neither the things that are in this world. This world system is just, and you know, it said, uh, you know, 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. So Satan wants to pull you away because he knows how powerful the word is. When the word is preached, lives are changed. That's why you are under spiritual warfare. That's why he wants to take you out, take you down. Lives are changed through the preaching of the gospel, through the word of God. So, of course, as Nehemiah faced opposition, there's not a church I know. You can read the book of Acts. They all faced opposition. Wherever the word is preached, there's always going to be opposition. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. You could be right on target, right on track, and Satan is trying to stop you from preaching the word. So continue to do that and, and God will bless you. And uh, on that day, he will say, well done, good and thy faithful servant. So just keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And as we come to an end of these interviews, I just want to say thank you, Pastor Joe. Again, this has been Lord willing helpful to you as we just journey through this book of Nehemiah, try to give you some leadership lessons and a good conversation with uh, my dad, Joe Williams, who's pastored at Calvary Chapel, Tacoma for over 40 years now and staying faithful to the course. We appreciate just how ministry can flow from you, wisdom, and um, man, just taking that step of faith even to just answer questions where uh, you don't know what's coming. But as we sort of conclude this time together, uh, are there any last words of encouragement you want to share with us? Anything you want to say before we we finish the uh, the bonus episodes and and the book of Nehemiah together. Well, you know, God used Nehemiah. You know, God always used a man or woman to accomplish his work. And just stay put where you are. Keep doing what you're doing. And don't move until God says so. In spite of opposition, perseverance is moving forward in spite of opposition. Yeah, you have opposition. You have trials. But you're not the only one. We all face those things. But you just continue to do that and you'll find out God can work in you and through you because he's for you he's not against you so just keep praying to him 
and seeking him and he will direct you he will guide you he will help you and he will also send people in to help you also so don't be discouraged just keep on keeping on keep on keeping on that's what we're going to do here at the leadership lessons podcast these have been bonus episodes in between season four and season five because season five is coming out early 2023 make sure you follow us on social media subscribe so you can be alerted to know when this new season drops uh man we have many people this new season that we're going to learn from i'm excited about to bring back video content as well as audio Uh, and remember these are just tools for you for your team for other church leaders to encourage and equip you and so that's our goal and i pray that we've accomplished that as we're just discussing leadership principles from the book Welcome to Nehemiah with my dad, Pastor Joe Williams. We will see you soon in season five. God bless you guys. Hey, real quick, before we end our episode, did you know I have a Patreon page, a community to build church leaders like yourself? Man, go ahead and check that out on our website or go to the Patreon page and look for EE Leaders or my name, Daniel Williams. It's exciting to be able to pour into you in this type of way. The Leadership Lessons Podcast is going to continue with new episodes March 13th. We're launching our fifth season and it's going to be glorious. Thank you guys so much. And uh, I have one more bonus episode for you before that date. And it's going to be a bonus episode of my dad preaching. I think you're going to enjoy it. We'll see you in the next episode.